look at 2 Timothy 3, and let's uh, read it first. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadiness, my persecutions and my sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that as we uh, study it and talk about it, as as um, in the Sunday school class, Lord, that we'll be able to discern from it the uh, uh, the parts that we will need to concentrate on and to help us better our lives and to be able to apply those truths in our lives so that we can better better be a servant of you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, the first line there, the first uh, on your notes, which should say, uh, uh, it's to be ready in any time is the the title, and so that that's the goal, and I think uh, that's the goal of the whole conference. But this particular uh, text is about being ready in any time, and and uh, point one is a time of difficulty. Uh, these times will be difficult, trying, uneasy. There are times when a Christian hardly knows what to do or which way to turn. He has to live under a constant sense of hindrance and difficulty in one sense or another. And those are the times that are coming. I don't know about y'all, but have you ever felt that way yourself, where you're in those times and you're, you, you just don't know which way to turn. There's a lot of confusion. And, um, and so those times are coming and, and those times are here. See, we find that out because later on, Paul speaks and he says, uh, avoid these people. And so he's talking about a future time, but a time that's already occurring. And, and we can see that occurring here in our time as well. It's a good thing that we have this because we can, 
we can follow along with this and we could probably pick up these patterns that Paul's going to talk about here in a minute and we can spot a lot of those in our day and time. Uh, and then now he begins this long list of explicit descriptions of the teachers who were abusing the Ephesian church with their false teaching. And at the same time tells us of today's errant church leadership reminding us uh, that we are also in the last days. And now say, I'm not talking about the last days that you, you might look at at the newspaper and you're following along with the book of Re Revelation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the last days that have been here since the, the time of Christ and they will continue until the time of Christ's return. Those are the last days I'm talking about and that, uh, that Paul is talking about. And they've been happening since then and they're happening today. Now when I saw this list, uh, some of your Bibles might have as little as 17 and some may have as many as 19, but there's all these different descriptions. And so I was kind of thinking in my head last night, well, how do you get through these, you know? And, and uh, so I just decided, uh, let's talk about each one. And uh, so we'll start off doing them in pairs because I think they, they kind of go together in pairs. And, uh, and, then, and if you have an idea of what something might mean uh, that I may have missed on and from what I've read, then I would encourage you to raise your hand and let us all know. See, that's the wonderful thing about Sunday school as opposed to, to, uh, to preaching in the service that I get to learn from you as well and, and from one another. And so there's conversation that takes place and that, that helps better the learning process. So, and if, if you don't feed back any, then at the very end, I'm going to try to go quickly so that I have a whole list of questions and I'll just start calling on you randomly. So, uh, <laughs> and I'll call on the people that I know so you are the ones that probably shouldn't laugh as much. But, uh, anyway, all right. So uh, yeah, the front row, they're like, oh good, we don't know Chad. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but they're brave. You notice where they sit, right? They sit in the front row, so that's, that's a good thing. So let's start looking at these in, in pairs to begin with. And I think lovers of self is kind of what springboards into all of that, right? And, uh, and so Paul starts with that, lovers of self and lovers of money. Um, it, it, this is a narcissistic lot, right? Uh, to, to love yourself so much and, the, and then you wrap your arms around yourself and, and it's only matched with the love of money that they might have that Paul has already described in 1 Timothy 6 when he talks about that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, notice there's a lot of error in today whenever people will just blanketly say uh, money is evil. Well, uh, that's not what Paul said. It's, it's the love of money, that, that love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. So, that, so there's a difference there. And that's one of those times when you could use that, that biblical argument that I was talking about in this morning's service um, to help a brother out or help a sister out. Whenever you hear those kinds of errors, you don't have to say, wrong! You know, you can, you can say, hey, could I talk to you about that? Or pull them to the side or just wait till you're alone and, and just explain a, a, a better way. And, uh, you know, this, this happened to another great speaker in the Bible, uh, Apollos, you know, and he was doing really well, and, uh, and he was pulled aside, and so he was taught a better way uh, by Priscilla and Aquila, and so, so that's a good thing. So then we have proud and arrogant. Uh, this is having prideful thoughts and boastful words. I, I don't know if you all know any folks like that, uh, but if you ever watch sports, you know, uh, and you watch the guy that catches, 
wide receivers are the worst, right? I'm sorry if y'all were a wide receiver, but, but they were the worst. And, and so uh, those guys are just, you know, constantly, if you see them coming on television, they're like, we should have threw me the ball more. I'm, I'm the best in the game, you know? And then you got these basketball players, you know, some of those. You, anyone ever watch LeBron James? Does he have a boastful problem? I would say so, right? You know, and so, uh, and then they contrast him to Michael Jordan, who, when they say, you're the best of all time, and they, they viewed him, and he says, uh, well, I'm not sure about that, but I think I deserve to be talked about maybe in the top five. <laughs> and then whenever they talk to LeBron James, they're like, do you think you're one of the best? And LeBron James says, without question, I am the best. <laughs> so, yeah, keep on losing those championships. And so, <laughs> anyway, uh, so... So he has a pride and an arrogant problem, right? And that, that's, that's, that's not a good thing. It's a turnoff. It, 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 have you ever known anyone that's prideful and arrogant? You don't want to be around them. One, you, you kind of can't get anything in there. And we all have a slight amount of it. We all want to say our piece. But when someone is always talking and always over-talking you and they're better than you and they know everything and you know so little and... Even if you bring up something and just make it up out of thin air, they know about it, you know. And so those people are out there. I've done that before. That's one of my sins that I need forgiveness of. And uh, I'm sure some of y'all have done that too. If you got it, it, I had a guy yesterday telling me, <laughs> I, was, I love fishing, and we had talked about that. And So if any of y'all are fishermen, you know that there's a couple of sunglasses out there that are better than others, Costas and some people say Costas, but Costas and Maui Gems. And so these are really good sunglasses. And the guy sell, trying to sell them to me, we were talking about coon hunting, and he goes, oh, they'll even help you out there too. I'm like, I coon hunt at night. And, uh, and he goes, yeah, but when they're up in the trees, and, and, uh, and I said, well, in the summertime, it's really hard to even find the coons. And, uh, and he goes, oh, yeah, with these, it'll make it easy. And I was like, do they see through leaves? You know, and so... <laughs> It's just, you know, so he was just trying to sell me a little more than, and I had some knowledge there because I've coon hunted, and, uh, and I still do, and it's fun. If y'all haven't done it, it's great. It's exercise. That's how I'm losing weight, so uh, it's, it's, it's a really good thing. So, but when you know these things, and you hear someone that don't know these things speak about things, you know there's some problems there. Now, here's one that's uh, abusive and disobedient to parents. Now, this, this is sad because disobedient to parents, I mean, I wish I had an example in our society. Uh, no, there, there is, sadly, right? We, this is uh, endemic. This is a, a horrible problem in our culture, which is why the many of us that don't have an issue spanking our children uh, get the law called on us. Uh, some, let's see, my oldest boy is 18. Uh, I think it was 12 years ago. No, not that long. Maybe 12 years ago. We were in Azel at Sonic, and I made him a promise. If he whined and moaned any longer and threw a fit about what he ordered, one more time I would pull him out and give him two pops. And so, like I said this morning... Never works first time go. He started griping again at his brother and his mom and me. And so I opened the door. I said, get out. I gave him two pops. 
And the lady in the Land Rover next to me said, I'm calling the cops on you beating your child. Now, I wasn't a Christian at the time. This was pre-2009. And so I looked at her and I said, you're next. And, uh, and so uh, uh, I don't advise that. But, uh, but whenever the police got there, they simply asked the car hop, what did you see? And they said, well, that man spanked his little boy on the bottom. The police officer asked my child, Will, whom many of you know, who has this inability, kind of like his mom, uh, to not share his feelings on his face. And the police officer said, what happened, son? He goes, I was bad and deserved a spanking. And so, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so he got a spanking, you know. And so, but this day and age, disobedience to parents is, is rampant in our society. And if they're disobedient to parents, then you know they're not going to be very obedient to teachers. And if they're not very obedient to teachers and they live on your street, they're definitely not going to be obedient to uh, neighbors. And so, uh, so we have uh, all these problems. And then abusive is, is, is kind of used here in the word is to be blasphemous or to criticize um, in a very hostile way. And so uh, that, that is always uh, something that, that hurts. Criticism of any kind is a little abrasive to begin with. But to do it with malice and in a hostile way is even worse. I mean, that has no love whatsoever. Um, I knew that a while ago, everybody was telling me how great the sermon was. And, and I really appreciate that. I really do. But I was waiting on the one person who would tell me absolutely in love whether I did well or whether I did not. And so I asked my wife. And, uh, and she's always been there for me to offer me this loving criticisms. And, and I don't even really like that word, but these loving ways of telling me things on how I can improve. Maybe that's a better word, right? And, uh, but, but they're often chips that get on my shoulders that need to be knocked off. And, and she does it in such a kind way. And, uh, and so this is not that. This abusive that he's talking about here is someone that purposely cites your flaws and then crit criticizes them in a horrible way. Um, I know we all get dressed every morning. We look in the mirror when we're doing it, brushing our teeth, shaving our faces. For men and women, look in your mirror and make sure you're put together well. Anyone do that and when you're finished saying, hmm, that's pretty good. Most everyone I know has something about themselves that they're like, oh, I wish that was different, that you can't stand, whether it be, but it's always some kind of a feature, and it doesn't matter what it is, but when others see it and they just abusively tear you down from that, that's, that's not a good thing. And Paul is warning us that this, this is what's going to be happening, happening in the... Uh, in these times that we'll have of difficulty. Ungrateful and unholy. This is not being thankful. And unholy carries the idea of gross indecency. Heartless and unappeasable. Now, the, uh, I'm not sure maybe your translation might use a different word there. Does anyone have a different word than unappeasable? Irreconcilable. Yeah, that, that's another one that I'd seen. Um, so that... Unforgiving, yeah. And so 
We have heartless and unforgiving. How about those qualities, right? Uh, those are not things that we ever write down on a piece of paper. This is what I want to show my children. And we want to show them the opposite of that. So this is, this is what he's talking about. This, this is without natural affection. Not only for your close family and your loved ones. I mean, this is just meanness, right? Uh, unloving, irreconcilable, refusing to change no matter how desperate the situation. That's a, I'm not changing, period. We see that a lot of times in movies when you're watching shows and you're like, wow, how could that woman stay with that guy? Or how could that guy stay with that woman? Or why don't they fire that manager? Or why doesn't that manager quit and find another job? Well, the reason why it's so easy to write about that stuff is not because we have brilliant writers on these shows. It's because they have physical realities to look at. It's easy to pull that way. And so that's all around. Slanderers without self-control. These slanderous tongues residing in bodies that could not govern themselves. You ever have anyone that, that you're like, you got to pre-introduce them before you introduce them? <laughs> you, you go to the person that's fixing to meet the person and you're like, hey, this is my friend and I really love them and they're really great, but they don't have a governor. And so uh, not real sure what they're going to say. So I just want to prepare you for that. Does anyone have a friend like that? Yeah, I, I do. Is anyone that person? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so, but, but we got to prepare people to meet people sometimes, you know. And so, uh, so that, that's not such a bad thing to do, except for these folks, these slanderous folks that don't have any self-control. Their governor's probably not like what we're talking about here uh, this this is is a lot more serious. They they say things that are mean and and have hurtful intent uh, from the nature of who they are. These are not good people, and these are not good times. Brutal and not loving good. Their brutality was like that of a savage, untamed beast. They loathed authentic goodness. Treacherous and reckless, turning against their own. I want you to think about Judas when you think about this. Uh, reckless is careless and negligent and rash. You ever hear stories on the news that just make you weep when a parent uh, is thrust into jail because they ran into CVS or some store and left their child in the car without it running and in the back seat? It's negligence. We live in those times. Next is conceit, having a much higher view of yourself than justified. Oscar Wilde was noted one time to uh, hop off the plane in England and, and say to one of the customs agents, I have nothing to claim but my genius. That's conceit, right? I would say even if you are a genius, you probably shouldn't say that. If you're a genius and you're truly a genius... People will say it about you enough. Let, let others pile that stuff on. We shouldn't be the ones doing it. Uh, conceit comes off as ugly. And, and it, but it's a natural thing that's inside of sinful men, right, and women, because that's one of the things that we have to teach our children to not do. Because oftentimes they'll say, did you see me? Did you see how great I was? I was fantastic. 
I was better than everyone else. And so we, we got to help them uh, uh, to realize that maybe you weren't so great. Now, that's hard because everyone thinks that their children are the best, right? And if you don't, you should. Uh, uh, but you got to... Now, if there's some things that they're just great at, do it, you know? We're out in the country, and I'm out there working with... I got a chainsaw mill. Yeah, we country it up. And I got a chainsaw mill, and I'm cutting these logs, and then I make stuff out of it. And my kids, when they get bored, they don't reach for devices. The, my little girl went and got a piece of cheese, and see, because all this wood that's out there, there's like these little bitty mice that run around. She's like, I'm going to do some trapping. And I'm like, all right. So she goes and gets this cheese, and she puts it in between the two mowers, and she's just kind of stocked up there on this ledge that we have with her Red Rider pink. Red Rider Daisy BB gun. Now I'm thinking there's no way she's hitting a mouse that big with a spring-loaded Red Rider. I get a picture a few days later of my wife that my wife sends me that my little girl's looking like Annie Oakey, Oakley. She's got the little pink Red Rider Daisy BB gun on one hip and holding the tail of a tiny little mouse. In the, and I was like, did she hit that? And and. Uh, and Shanda said, yes, she did. And uh, I asked her how she did it, and she was standing about six to eight feet away, and she just started following that mouse. And uh, my wife said, well, how did you hit it? She goes, the little sticky-uppy thing at the end, I just kept it on the mouse. You know, and so, um, <laughs> so I didn't mind at all telling her, you are a good shot. <laughs> there is no way I could have done that. And so, uh, so we do encourage them, but we don't encourage them to be conceited. Now last here is uh, in this long list that, man, I hope none of us ever... We have these things shortly. We have glimpses of these things, and hopefully when they come in, they come out just as quickly. Uh, hopefully we have a brother or sister in Christ that says, man, you're being mean and you, and you repent immediately. These folks, they're, they're not that. It says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They were controlled by pleasure, and this pleasure is a depraved pleasure. Uh, not able to obey the first or second great commandments. They cannot truly love God or their neighbors, nor do they have the desire to do so. Can you imagine? I mean, we all sit here, and whenever we read and we see that Jesus says, that you're to love your God with all your mind, your heart, and your soul, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself, we're all like, I'm working on it because I, I got this one neighbor, you know, or, or you have this one person that's just a struggle to love them, but you do struggle to love them. This is not the case with these folks. They don't have a problem with not loving people or not loving God. Matter of fact, that's, that's, that's their aim is to have this meanness and hatred. And we live in a world, a time, that that's what exists. That what's right, they call wrong. And what's wrong, they call right. And, and we're in it. And, and so, and my thought is that since this is, uh, you know, not very long after Jesus died, that we're going to be in it for until he comes back. I mean, th those are the last days, right? And so we're going to be dealing with these kinds of people all along the way. 
A sad note about this list, although it looks very similar to the one in Romans chapter 1, right? Uh, there's a lot of bad things here. This list is about people that are in the church. See, maybe y'all thought as I was going along, these are people out there. These are those sinners that, uh, that need the word. But this list is about leaders in the church. And so we got to, I don't know if y'all have seen a lot of things that come on television channels at night. But there's a lot of people that are wolves in sheep clothing. And if you, uh, one of the things I used to do, I'm telling on myself, whenever I was a uh, custodian here, if I saw a book in one of y'all's classrooms while I was cleaning up that was written by an author that I knew was teaching any portion of a false gospel, I chunked it in the trash. <laughs> so if, if any of you were accidentally reading a book and you couldn't find it the following week, uh, and this was about you know five years ago, and I worked here for about three years, so yeah, there was about a three-year period that I was uh, doing my own personal cleanup, you know, so. And, uh, it's partly Dr. Wright's fault, because <laughs> I would go up and ask him first, what do you think of this guy? Oh, you don't want to read him. Okay. <laughs> Neither does anyone else. And so uh, I didn't tell him that part, though. That was my own private ministry. So. No, no, no. I just saved you from the bus. I just barely stuck you out there a little bit. And so, so, and... Uh, and I, and I see Brother David back there. Um, I ask him a lot about books, too. So uh, I got people going in the bus. Might as well let David join Dr. 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 David Toledo. I'm sorry. Um, may let them both go, right? I, I'm telling you, I, I ask advice from everybody. I would advise you all to do the same. So then we know that the, we, we have these problems, right? And the there, and, and then he goes into to describing what these people do, and, he, and he's talking about these, these people. Can you imagine these kind of people? They're slimy anyway, so they, they're going to creep into these households, and they, they pick on weak women that have these, these guilts and sins is what it's talking about. And, and instead of doing what you're supposed to do, like when you, you find anyone, weak woman, weak man, strong man, strong woman, when they have sins and this guilt, this burden, we should walk alongside them and, and help them with that and show them you don't have to carry that. Christ alone can carry that. He can handle it. You cannot. But here they come along and they just want to just manipulate and get in there and, and just keep using this. And like I said, you see these guys all over on the TV shows at night. If you've never seen... These folks, good, don't turn it on. But it, and it's like Fort Worth is some kind of magnetic mecca for these people. I don't understand. I mean, Kenneth Copeland and, and the dude down the road with the gold roof, Murdoch and all that, don't listen to those, unless you're wanting comedy, but, I mean, don't listen to those guys for any biblical content. It's horrible. It, it, it's not only horrible, it's absolutely anti-Bible. They're teaching everything exactly wrong. 
And, and guess what? Usually late at night, older folks are watching this, and they're the ones that support a lot of that ministry. We need folks to come along them with them. Now, these aren't the older folks that are the ones teaching the younger folks, of course. Those are the ones that are doing the right thing. That's what's supposed to happen in a church. The older folks are teaching the younger folks. What are you doing at night? What are you reading? What are you studying? And then when you share it with them, they're like, ah, yeah, that's a good one. Or don't do that. Stay away from that. Don't send no money to Mike Murdoch. Ever. Send it to the organization Dr. Rott was talking about. Mothers need that help a lot more than Dr. Mike Murdoch. I say doctor loosely. I think he just assigned it himself. So then we see that Paul starts talking about a couple of folks. This is a, a passage I kind of use whenever, if I ever hear someone say to me, I don't get that silly theology stuff, or I don't really care about doctrine, I only need my Bible. Well, these names that appear here, Paul got them from an outside source. And we learn later that in chapter 4, he's like, bring the books, bring the parchments. Paul's going to work and study and learn. I would so invite you to do the same. Unless you know every principle that the Bible lays out, and I don't know anyone that does, even some of the most brilliant people I know, I hear them say, I'm not sure sometimes. Now, it's hard to catch Dr. Albert Muller say, not sure, but he does say it. I've heard it. <laughs> He's the president of Southern Seminary, by the way, but uh, one of the most brilliant men that I've ever seen in my life. When he talks, I'm just like, what's he fixing to say? So these guys here, they oppose the truth, right? These were the magicians back in Moses' day, back whenever Aaron threw the rod on the ground and turned to the serpent, and then theirs did the same thing. And Well, except for their magical serpent, wasn't quite good enough, was it? It got ate up. And it says here that they will not get very far, for their folly will plain to see, and as that was of those two men. People found them out that they were scoundrels, that they were cheating, that, they were, uh, that what they were proposing was equal to what Moses' God was doing was indeed wrong. Moses' God was more powerful. And then finally we switch to a, uh, to a better topic, right? Instead of talking about these difficult times, and, and, uh, and now Paul is like, okay, now let's think about some things to remember. Right? So the next point is a time to remember. And uh, quickly, it's just that it's, uh, it's pretty easy to understand. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And this is not Paul bragging, right? This is Paul telling the truth. And because he's writing under the power of the Holy Spirit. So we know these things are true about Paul because, well, we're going to find out in a minute that all Scripture is breathed out by God. But these are his persecutions and suffering and happening to him at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. 
He's talking about these times of repentance, that Paul's apostolic life and virtues that are God-given are a stark contrast. They're completely opposite to the false teachers that are in the Ephesian church and that are in today's church as well. And uh, he says, remember my persecutions. Verse 11. Remember the, the, uh, my life, verse 10. Remember the axiom. Now, I had to look up axiom. And uh, so apparently it's a, a statement or a proposition that is regarded as being established. And so uh, I know most of you are more educated than I am, but I haven't learned axiom yet, so I had to look it up. But just in case you didn't know what it meant, there you go. So what, what is it? In verses uh, 12 and 13, we see that he says... Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's not a good thing to hear, is it? And that, that while evil people and imposters will go on, they're going to continue from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, so that's something that... Is an axiom, it's a statement or proposition that is regarded as being established. Is it anyone in here ever faced any hard times? I know that we've not faced persecution like many of our brothers in the persecuted church. I mean, I, we had a, we lived in Watauga and I put a sign out in my front yard talking about a Bible study and we had a dead squirrel thrown up in our yard, you know. It's not quite as bad as they have it over in you know Middle East when they claim Christ as their Savior, but even here in this area, anybody have a dead animal thrown in their yard just for being a Christian? That's you know that's right here. So don't put a sign in your yard that you want to start Christianity Explored class uh, unless you're willing to get an animal thrown in your yard, and because uh, they might still be around. Uh, but we got to remember these things. It's a time of remembrance for Paul. It's an encouragement to remember those who've done well, those who've gone through these things, because that's who you go talk to. Hey, you've been through this. Could you help me out through this? They're going to have Scripture that they used. They're going to have advice that they've gotten, and, and they're going to share it with you. There's a lot of people in this room that have experience in a great many things. And if you go to them and ask them, hey, will you help me out in this way? I don't know any Christian that loves the Lord that would say no to that. And then we see there the, the final point is an obligation to continue. And we see that in verses 14 through 17. And I get it from this verse here. It says, but as for you, my beloved Timothy, he says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. See, he talks about to continue in the Word. He says, continue because of your godly informants. Now, who are they? They were Lois and Eunice, his grandmother and his mother. See, that's why women are so strong and needed in the church. That's why they're so strong and needed in the home. Because that's where it begins. Continue in the gospel because you have had the scripture. That's verse 15. He said, you're going to continue in that because you have the word. You have the scripture. What is the scripture? It was the sacred writings. What was the sacred writing? It was the Old Testament that they had in their hands. Continue in the gospel because of what scripture is. 
It is inspired. That's theonoustos. God breathed. It is useful or profitable. It's good for teaching. It's good for reproof, to refute, refute error and misconduct with careful biblical argument. I used the same exact definition from this morning's sermon. For correction. See, that's needed. Whenever you go to, to talk to someone about what they're doing, here's one that might be easy for you. It was easy for me. I addressed it and I did it the, cor the correct way. And the brother came back changed and it was wonderful. Uh, if you know someone that says the, the OMG or you know takes the Lord's name in vain, because uh, a lot of those folks that the only way you can do it is by saying the curse word, they think that's the only way that you're blaspheming the Lord or taking His name in vain. Well, there's many ways that they can do that. So it, that would be a soft, gentle way to enter this realm of learning how to correct and teach and rebuke. And so um, if you have someone like that, you can pull them to the side. And you can say, hey, you know, whenever you come in and you just kind of use the Lord and you say, oh, my. You come and you just sit down and you say, my Lord. When you do that, you're, you're using that word in place of a word that you would use that's negative, and, that, and that's wrong. Can I show you why? And then you show them why, and you, you uh, do this through careful biblical argument, and they go, ah, I, I see that you are right, and I, I'm going to stop doing that. And then you're accountable to walk right beside them. And they're going to be accountable with you. And, and that's a beautiful thing. If you've ever been able to, to do that, or had it done for yourself, I've, ha I've had people correct me, and it takes me longer to admit it, but, but it's good when that happens, when they use a biblical argument and say, do you understand why you shouldn't do that? And like I said, I oftentimes want to butt heads and say, no, I don't understand. I don't understand why you got to be the one to tell me. But uh, I'd say nearly 100% of the time they were right. So it's good for correction. We must straighten out. We must help straighten out after reproof. Then we'll be ready for the words training in righteousness. So in summary, the God-breathed word is useful for all of life, all doctrine, and all duty, all creed, and all conduct, everything. Lastly, the final verse declares that the Scripture equips. The man of God is super equipped by the Word of God. The man of God is before all else a man of the Bible. Amen? Yes, sir. I was going to ask the questions. I'm just kidding. Um, so oftentimes whenever I, uh, I go through, the, in the back of it, it has uh, these questions called coma questions, and they're, they're for context, observation, meaning, and application. And so uh, it'll have coma questions from the epistles and coma questions for narrative Old Testament, and, and so all these different things. And so I was just going to throw out there, because and, 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 uh, I think you all got a good idea of the context. I think you see some observation. And I think you see some meaning. And, and you don't even have to answer these questions, but I'll ask three of them anyway from the application section. How does this passage challenge or confirm your understanding? 
So you got to consider all those things, and then as you think about application, roll that around in your mind. Is there some attitude you need to change? This is the worst question. I don't like that one. But, uh, <laughs> because usually, well, every time, mine is, well, yes, there is. Uh, and then finally, how does this passage call on you to change the way you live? So I would invite you to think about those questions. Thank you.